on a mission. It's a mission to turn our world upside down. That happens when people hear the good news of Jesus. So get ready for God to turn you upside down. It all starts with loving people. Loving them with biblical agape love. We talked about that in the last episode. That if we're going to talk to people about Jesus, we have to love them. We have to genuinely care about them. And last time we also looked at John chapter 4, Jesus' conversation with that Samaritan woman. We read that Jesus had to go through Samaria, that region. Jesus had to show his love, his concern for that woman. And he had to teach his disciples that God loves all people groups, all the people groups in the world. And the disciples had to overcome their bias and prejudice. I find at least four other things in John chapter 4, things that might help us in our sharing the gospel with unbelievers today. First, notice how Jesus focuses on one person. He focuses on just one person. I think we can get overwhelmed when we think about going into all the world with the gospel or going to all different people groups. It's so much better, I think, to focus on just one person. Years ago, I read this somewhere. Think of every person you meet as a divine appointment. Think of every person you meet as a divine appointment. You're being introduced to someone, or you bump into someone, or you talk to a stranger. It's all part of God's plan. It's not an accident. It's not a coincidence. It's a divine appointment. Now, as was mentioned last time, Jesus is not only a human being, he's also, of course, God, God in the flesh, and therefore he knows everything. So in John chapter 4, Jesus already knew about this particular woman and that she would arrive at that well at a specific time. We as ordinary humans don't have that kind of knowledge. But the point remains, every person you meet should be seen as God's appointment for you. Not that every quick hello will lead to a longer conversation, or not that a short conversation will lead to something more, but some will. And some short conversations can become lifetime friendships. I recall back when I was around 16 years old, I met two brothers. I was going to be a camp counselor at a Bible camp in the summer, and I was signing up kids from the neighborhood. That brief encounter led to decades of connection with them. And not only with them, but through them I went on to meet their extended family, uncles and aunts and cousins and spouses of relatives and ex-spouses and second husbands and friends of their friends. Recently I reconnected with a friend of one of those brothers. It was almost 35 years after first meeting him. He had been dealing with lots of personal issues in those early years of life, and he struggled for a few years. But as we reconnected last year, 2020, he told me that he's now a believer. I was just one of the believers he met at a young age, and I remember talking with him about Jesus. But others, no doubt, had much more of an influence upon him in later years. And now, wonderfully, he's a brother in the Lord. It's hard to share a bit of my own experiences. I find that when someone uses themselves as an example, well, it can sound a bit boastful. Sort of like, look at me. But please remember something from the last episode. 
I'm really just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. The bread of life, Jesus. And that's all of us. But maybe by giving some examples from my own experience, you'll be encouraged. So when Jesus enters that Samaritan town of Sychar, notice he doesn't quickly find that well and gulp down some water. Instead, it seems that he looks around a bit. He ends up focusing on that one person. I think often we can wander aimlessly in a crowd of people or, or maybe at a social gathering. We'll sit in just one place for the entire evening. I think we should be more intentional. More intentional about this and, and start to focus maybe on just one person in the crowd. Then secondly, start a conversation with that person. Start a conversation. Take the lead. Initiate a conversation. Our small group at church recently discussed a Christian book about how to care for people. The author, Dr. Ed Welch, encourages believers to keep an eye out at church before or after the worship service. He encourages us to notice that person who's maybe off in the corner or that couple standing by themselves drinking coffee. Welch urges us to be intentional to go up to people and start a conversation. And all it takes is a few words. A few words spoken with a smile. Hi, I don't think I've met you before. My name is Randall. So Jesus focuses on that one person at that well, and he strikes up a conversation with her. And the first thing he says to her is something quite simple. Could you draw some water from this well for me to drink? It's nothing profound, but it starts a longer conversation. You know, it's sort of like playing tennis or, or table tennis, ping pong. You start by hitting the ball over the net. You send it in the direction of the other person. And now it's that person's turn. The person can hit the ball back to you, or maybe not. So the conversation starts with just a few words, and often it becomes a back and forth. And a nice conversation is launched. Ordinary conversation starters can be about your work or their work, about your family or their family. And I think at church, you obviously will have more freedom to go into matters of faith quite quickly compared to meeting someone on the street or at a coffee shop. You can easily ask, oh, is this your first time here? Oh, have you visited other churches in the neighborhood? How did you hear about our church? Now, of course, some of us can talk to complete strangers more easily than others. But most of us already have connections or friendships with people who are not believers. We already know them. So we don't have to think of maybe first of all starting conversations with strangers or newcomers to church. We just have to be intentional about deepening conversations with the people we already know. Look at some of the examples in the Bible even in the early chapters of John, where people are already connected in some way. We find two examples in John chapter 1. There we're told about the man Andrew. He's a fisherman. Andrew first learned about Jesus, and he started following after Jesus. And listen to John 1, verses 41 and 42. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah. And he brought him... Simon Peter, to Jesus. So we naturally have connections with our family members and relatives. 
If you're a believer and they're not yet at that point, well, it's just natural to start talking to them a bit about Jesus. Remember from the last episode to do that lovingly and humbly. Later in John chapter 1, a man named Philip first learns about Jesus. And we read that Philip went to one of his best friends, the man Nathaniel. And Philip brought Nathaniel to Jesus. The point is, start having more intentional conversations. You know, it's often about just being more intentional with the people we already know. Focusing on just one person. You probably have a sense whether or not they're open to going a bit deeper. And then be willing to do that. Maybe it's chatting with the next door neighbor a little more often. Or maybe that coworker. You could chat more intentionally with a woman who does your hair or with that guy who's part of a pickup basketball game. Well, let's go back to John chapter 4. Now, of course, Jesus isn't giving us a four-step or a five-step process for sharing the gospel. There's no list of steps for that in any part of the Bible. But here is a third thing to notice. That with this Samaritan woman, Jesus moves the conversation to a deeper level moving the conversation to a deeper level. As they keep talking, Jesus gradually reveals himself more and more as the Messiah, as the living water who will fully satisfy her inner thirst. You know, throughout the Gospels, it's quite revealing to note how Jesus talks to different people in different ways, depending on their circumstances in life. So as Jesus is talking with this woman at the well, a question arises in her mind. She knows he's a Jew, and obviously he's a man, so she wonders why in the world would he be talking to her? And why would he be asking her for a drink? Jesus responds to that question, and as he speaks, he's raising other thoughts in her mind, and he eventually tells her about special water, water that will become like a fountain inside of her, a fountain springing up to eternal life. Again, this is Jesus, not we as believers today. I just wouldn't recommend, for example, to say what Jesus says later on in this conversation. He says, go, call your husband. And when she says she doesn't have a husband, he tells her this, that he knows she's been married five times. She's had five different husbands, and now she has a live-in boyfriend. It's a caution about always asking WWJD, what would Jesus do? Sometimes we might ask that, of course, what would Jesus do or what might Jesus say? But remember that as God in the flesh, Jesus is always unique. He's unique as God. He's also unique in that culture, in the scriptures. He's a Jew. And he's usually ministering to other Jews or to people familiar with Jews. Jesus is also unique at that particular time in redemptive history. We don't live in those days. So we have to be careful how we apply these examples of Jesus to our own day. But the general point, I think, is valid. That as God gives us opportunity, we should take the conversation deeper. And rather than launching into a monologue, it's often best, like Jesus, to ask some questions. Some time ago, a pastor shared how he once asked a question of a stranger. He was at a gas station to fill up his gas tank, and there was a car directly in front of him. And on the back of that car, on the bumper, there was a bumper sticker that said this, My karma beats your dogma. 
My karma beats your dogma. And the driver of that car, a woman, was filling up her tank, and, and she was just in front of him, so he was able to say to her quite easily, Well, that's a very interesting bumper sticker. What do you mean by that? And then she explained how she was raised in a church, but she had had some very bad experiences, so she had become a Buddhist, believing in karma. Her karma, she said, was better than any church dogma. Well, that gave the pastor some opportunity to explain more about Jesus and about churches that genuinely care for people. That conversation started by him simply asking her a question. One key question. What do you mean by that? I think that's similar to Jesus' approach here in John chapter 4. Then a fourth thing. Notice how Jesus keeps on listening. He keeps on listening. You know, we preachers are used to talking and to do teaching, which really is more talking. Most of us aren't so good at listening. And if we're asking questions of people, then surely we also have to be careful to be listening, to be listening carefully to their answers. And as Jesus listens to this Samaritan woman, she seems focused on some point of theological controversy, a, a religious controversy in her own day between Samaritans and Jews. Verse 20 of John chapter 4. Historically, the Samaritans had their holy mountain, and the Jews had another holy mountain. Which mountain is the right mountain? She asked Jesus. I'm always struck by how Jesus refuses to enter into that controversy. He just doesn't go there. Rather, he points her to the one true God, the one true God who just wants people to worship him from the heart, from the spirit. That is, God wants people to know him and to love him and to give him praise and thanks. Now, I enjoy a theological discussion, even a theological debate, as much as anyone. Yeah, I surely do. But I always have to be reminding myself, don't do that in the context of talking to an unbeliever. Just don't do it. Why not? Because we should want them to know about Jesus. We want them to know how Jesus can be their Savior also, that he would become for them a source of living water in their lives. You know, 90% of the time when you enter into a controversy or a debate of some kind, the emotional level is elevated. We've all had our share of that recently, I'm sure, with all the political debates and the social arguments. You know, those debates become like contests. One person is going to come out feeling like the winner, and the other one is going to feel like the loser. Or maybe both will end up feeling frustrated and upset. In the last episode, maybe I offended some listeners by mentioning the topic of guns, concealed weapons, Second Amendment rights. But I know several people, mostly males, who just love to talk about this topic and they want to strongly defend gun ownership and they'll even talk about it at church or in conversations among groups standing there in the parking lot after church. Don't you often get turned off by these arguments? I mean, not on that topic necessarily, but all the debates and controversies and arguments. Don't you often get turned off? Well, think of the unbelievers. They don't know you that well. 
If you start raising political opinions or get into social debates or start commenting on what they believe is wrong and how you believe so much better, well, I think they'll just not want to hear about Jesus from you. I have a friend out west who recently was telling me about his own pastor. He's been a pastor in the church for many years. And that pastor would often say this during his years of ministry in that particular church. Look, I don't want the members of my church to even know what political party I belong to. I want my preaching to be about Christ and him crucified. And I want all kinds of people of differing political opinions to feel comfortable in our church. So he didn't talk about politics or political issues, not in his sermons, not in his preaching, but not even in his private conversations. Because why? People will learn what he thinks privately and they'll pass that on to others. Then right away you have a climate of of debate and division and controversy. That pastor is so very wise. And this is doubly important when you're talking with unbelievers. Look, you're there in that conversation, in that friendship, to be listening and to be talking a bit and to be bringing that conversation to a deeper level about Jesus. So please don't risk that conversation to score a point about a political issue or a social controversy or what you think about this president or that president or that prime minister. No. Keep it focused on the right things. Then a final point, a fifth point. Keep the focus on a faith response to Jesus. Finally, bring the focus to some faith response to Jesus. How will they respond to Jesus? Now, many of us were taught in doing evangelism that we should get people to see that they're sinners. And yes, each of us eventually has to know that and understand our sin before God. But as I'm talking with unbelievers, especially in the past few years, I'm finding this. Most people instinctively have a sense of sin, or they have some feeling of guilt or shame. And I'm coming to realize that I really don't have to dwell on sin. Rather, listen as people are asking questions about discovering more meaning in life, about finding deeper purpose in their career or or in their relationships or or in life in general. So in John chapter 4, Jesus knows this woman's sin, but notice he doesn't dwell on it. He doesn't push her to admit that she's a sinner or that she's under God's condemnation. Rather, Jesus knows her need for living water. And yes, that living water will satisfy our inner thirst for forgiveness, for God to forgive us our sins, but that's only part of it. You see, this woman also needs to know Jesus as her eternal source of love, true agape love. And that as she starts to know Jesus' love and God's love for her through Jesus, she'll have a new meaning and purpose for living. And more than that, Out of Jesus' living water, she'll also be brought into a community of love. She'll be brought into a community of brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus who will truly love her in good and genuine ways. She had been looking for love in all the wrong places. Yes, indeed, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him, in Jesus, shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. By trusting in Jesus, she will be saved. 
but so much more than that. She'll now have a fountain of living water welling up within her. Jesus, by his Spirit, will bring continuous agape love into her life, a covenantal love, an eternal love, a love that will not ever let her go. Now, John doesn't give us all the later details. It seems, however, that she did put her faith in Jesus. And then she would naturally go on to be learning more about him. And as a new believer, she would also be learning more about herself and about her sins, about her spiritual faults and failures. And she would be learning how to keep confessing her sins to God and to be experiencing his forgiveness of all her sins. That comes quite easily as unbelievers become believers. That's another reason why we shouldn't press unbelievers about their sins. I mean, what do people in general know about their hearts? What do they know about their souls at this early point? The Holy Spirit is just starting to change them. They're just taking the first small step of faith. Most new converts, after a few weeks or months, will openly say, Look, I never knew that I had so many sins. And that's a wonderful evidence of true conversion. But that's something for all of us to keep on realizing every day of our lives. And to remember that all of us are beggars, just spiritual beggars who are being fed by Jesus, the bread from heaven, and who are drinking from his living water. So finally, just focus on people's faith response to Jesus. Their response to take that step, that step of faith. It doesn't have to be a deep faith. It won't be a profound faith. No, not at first. Just a simple, childlike faith. So start praying. Start praying about people you might know. Maybe someone you already know, or maybe someone whom you'll meet by a divine appointment. And then start enjoying some very good conversations. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Randall. This podcast is produced by my brothers in Christ, Dennis and Moses. Won't you tell your friends about us? We're Mission Upside Down. Thank you.